Chapter 4 Showing the Characteristics of a Godly Person It will be inquired next, who is the godly person? For the full answer to this, I will give several specific signs and characteristics of a godly person. Section 1 The first fundamental sign is that a godly person is a person of knowledge. The prudent are crowned with knowledge. Proverbs 14.18 The saints are called wise virgins. Matthew 25, 1-4 A natural man may have some passing knowledge of God, but he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. 1 Corinthians 8, 2 He does not know God savingly. He may have the eye of reason open, but he does not discern the things of God in a spiritual manner. Waters cannot go beyond their spring head. Steam cannot rise higher than the sun draws it. A natural man cannot act above his sphere. He is no more able to judge sacred things properly than a blind man is to judge colors. He does not see the evil of his heart. No matter how disfigured and deformed a face is, yet it is not seen under a veil. The heart of a sinner is so dark that nothing but hell can match it, yet the veil of ignorance hides it. He does not see the beauty of the Savior. Christ is a pearl, but a hidden pearl. A godly person is taught by God. The same anointing teacheth you of all things. 1 John 2.27 All things essential to salvation. A godly person has the good knowledge of the Lord. 2 Chronicles 30, 22. He has sound wisdom. Proverbs 3, 21. He knows God in Christ. To know God out of Christ is to know Him as an enemy, but to know Him in Christ is delightful and pleasant. A gracious soul has the savor of His knowledge. 2 Corinthians 2.14 There is a great difference between someone who has read about a country or viewed it on the map and someone who has lived in the country and has tasted its fruits and spices. The knowledge with which a godly person is arrayed has the following eight rare ingredients in it. 1. It is a grounded knowledge. If ye continue in the faith grounded, Colossians 1.23 It is not simply believing what a church believes, but this knowledge rests upon a double basis of the Word and Spirit. The one is a guide and the other is a witness. Saving knowledge is not uncertain or doubtful, but it has a certainty in it. We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ. John 6.69 we are always confident, 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Being always confident, a godly person holds no more than he will die for. The martyrs were so confirmed in the knowledge of the truth that they would seal it with their blood. 2. It is a knowledge based upon value. The jeweler is said to know a jewel if he has the skill to value it. 
He knows God who esteems him above the glory of heaven. Psalm 113.4 And the comforts of the earth. To compare other things with God is to debase deity, as if you would compare the shining of a glowworm with the sun. 3. The knowledge of a godly person is an enlivening knowledge. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Psalm 119.93 Knowledge in a natural person's head is like a torch in a dead person's hand, but true knowledge animates. A godly person is like John the Baptist, a burning and a shining light. John 5.35 Not only does he shine by illumination, but he burns by affection. The spouse's knowledge made her sick of love. Song of Solomon 2.5 I am wounded with love. I am like a deer that is struck with a dart. My soul lies bleeding and nothing can cure me other than a sight of him whom my soul loves. 4. Divine knowledge is applicable knowledge. I know that my Redeemer liveth. Job 19.25 A medicine is best when it is applied. This knowledge is joyful when it is applied. Christ is called a surety. Hebrews 7.22 When I am drowned in debt, what joy it is to know that Christ is my surety. Christ is called an advocate. 1 John 2, 1. The Greek word for advocate, parakletos, signifies a comforter. When I have a bad cause, what comfort it is to know that Christ, who never lost any cause he pleaded, is my advocate. Question. But how will I know that I am making a proper application of Christ? A hypocrite may think he applies when he does not. Although Balaam was a sorcerer, he still said, The Lord my God. Numbers 22.18 Answer 1. He who rightly applies Christ puts these two together, Jesus and Lord. Christ Jesus, my Lord. Philippians 3.8 Many take Christ as Jesus, but refuse him as Lord. Do you join Prince and Savior? Acts 5.31 Would you just as gladly be ruled by Christ's laws as saved by his blood? Christ is a priest upon his throne. Zechariah 6.13 He will never be a priest to intercede unless your heart is the throne where he sways his scepter. We truly apply Christ when we so take him as a husband that we give up ourselves to him as Lord. 2. He who rightly applies Christ derives virtue from him. The woman in the gospel, having touched Christ, felt virtue coming from him, and her fountain of blood was dried up. Mark 5.29 we have applied Christ when we feel a sin-mortifying virtue flow from him. Scientists tell us there is an antipathy between the diamond and the magnet, 
insomuch that if a piece of iron is laid by the diamond, the diamond will not allow the iron to be drawn away by the magnet. In the same way that knowledge that can be applied has an antipathy against sin and will not allow the heart to be drawn away from it. A. The knowledge of a godly person is transforming. We all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image. 2 Corinthians 3.18 As an artist looks upon a face and draws a face like it in the picture, so as we look at Christ in the mirror of the gospel, we are changed into his likeness. We may look at other objects that are glorious, yet not be made glorious by them. A deformed face may look at beauty, yet not be made beautiful. A wounded man may look at a surgeon, yet not be healed. Yet the excellence of divine knowledge is that it gives us such a sight of Christ as makes us partake of his nature. As when Moses saw God's back parts and his face shine, some of the rays and beams of God's glory fell on him. B. The knowledge of a godly person is self-emptying. Worldly knowledge makes the head whirl with pride. 1 Corinthians 8, 1-2 True knowledge brings a person out of love with himself. The more he knows, the more he is ashamed of his own ignorance. David, a bright star in God's church, still thought himself to be a cloud rather than a star. Psalm 73, 22. C. The knowledge of a godly person is growing, increasing in the knowledge of God. Colossians 1, 10. True knowledge is like the light of the morning, which increases on the horizon until it comes to the full meridian. Spiritual knowledge is so sweet that the more a saint knows, the thirstier he is for knowledge. It is referred to as the riches of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 1, 5 The more riches a person has, the more still he desires. Although Paul knew Christ, he still wanted to know him more. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Philippians 3, 10 D. The knowledge of a godly person is practical. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. John 10.4 Although God requires knowledge of God more than burnt offerings, Hosea 6.6, yet it is a knowledge accompanied by obedience. True knowledge not only improves a Christian's sight, but it also improves his walk. It is a reproach to a Christian to live in contradiction to his knowledge. To know he should be strict and holy, yet to live carelessly and loosely. Not to obey is the same as not to know. The sons of Eli knew not the Lord. 1 Samuel 2.12 They could not but know, for they taught others the knowledge of the Lord. Yet they are said not to know, because they did not obey. When knowledge and practice, like Castor and Pollux of mythology appear together, they foretell much happiness. Application 1. 
let us test ourselves by the following characteristics. 1. Are they godly if they are still in the region of darkness? That the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. Proverbs 19.2 Ignorant people cannot give God reasonable service. Romans 12.1 It is sad that after the sun of righteousness has shined so long in our hemisphere, people would still be under the power of ignorance. Perhaps they know so much of the things of the world that no one will exceed them, but they have no knowledge in the things of God. Nahash wanted to make a covenant with Israel that included putting out their right eyes. 1 Samuel 11.2 The devil has left people their left eye, knowledge in secular matters, but he has put out their right eye. They do not understand the mystery of godliness. It may be said of them, as of the Jews, even unto this day the veil is upon their heart. 2 Corinthians 3.15 Many Christians are no better than baptized heathens. What a shame it is to be without knowledge. Some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15.34 People think it is a shame to be ignorant in their trade, but they are not ashamed to be ignorant of God. No one goes to heaven blindfolded. It is a people of no understanding. Therefore, he that made them will not have mercy on them. Isaiah 27:11. Surely ignorance in these days is contrived. It is one thing not to know, but it is another thing to be willing to know. Men loved darkness rather than light. John 3:19. The owl loves the dark. Sinners are like the Atlantes, a people in Ethiopia who curse the sun. Wicked people shut their eyes willfully, Matthew 13, 15, and God shuts them judicially, Isaiah 6, 10. A. Are they godly who, although they have knowledge, still do not know as they ought to know? 1 Corinthians 8, 2. They do not know God through experience. How many knowledgeable people are ignorant? They have illumination, but not sanctification. Their knowledge has no powerful influence upon them to make them better. If you set up a hundred torches in a garden, they will not make the flowers grow, but the sun is influential. Many people are so far from being better for their knowledge that they are worse. Thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. Isaiah 47.10 The knowledge of most people makes them more clever in sin. These people have little cause to glory in their knowledge. Absalom could boast of the hair of his head, but that hanged him. 2 Samuel 14.26 and In the same way, these people may boast of the knowledge of their head, but it will destroy them. B. Are they godly who, although they have some glimmer of knowledge, yet have not proven Christ by faith? Many in the old world knew there was an ark, 
but were drowned because they did not get into it. Knowledge that is not applied will only land a person in hell. It would be better to live as a savage than to die as an unbeliever under the gospel. It is terrible to not believe in Christ. When Moses' rod was in his hand, it did a great deal of good. It worked miracles. However, when it was out of his hand, it became a serpent. In the same way, those who lay hold of Christ by the hand of faith find him to be full of comfort. But those who do not lay hold of him by faith find him to be as a biting serpent. Application 2. As we would prove ourselves to be godly, let us labor for this good knowledge of the Lord. What efforts people will take for the achievement of natural knowledge? I have read of one man named Ben Sherat, who spent 40 years studying the motion of the eighth sphere. What effort, then, we should take in finding out the knowledge of God in Christ? We must dig and search for it as one would search for a vein of silver. If thou seekest her as silver. Proverbs 2, 4. This is the best knowledge. It as far surpasses all other knowledge as the diamond surpasses the crystal. No jewel we wear so adorns us as this. She is more precious than rubies. Proverbs 3, 15. Man knoweth not the price thereof. The depth saith, It is not in me. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx, or the sapphire. Job 28, 13-14 and 16. The dark chaos was an appropriate emblem of an ignorant soul. Genesis 1, 2. But when God lights up the lamp of knowledge in the mind, what a new creation there is. How the soul sparkles like the sun in its glory. This knowledge is comforting. We may say of the knowledge of nature, as Solomon did, He that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Ecclesiastes 1.18 The knowledge of arts and science is as gathering straw, but the knowledge of God in Christ is as gathering pearls. This knowledge ushers in salvation. 1 Timothy 2.4 Question? But how will we get this saving knowledge? Answer. Not by the power of nature. Some people speak of how far reason will go if put to good use. But the plumb line of reason is too short to fathom the deep things of God. A person can no more reach the saving knowledge of God by the power of reason than a short person can reach the top of the pyramids. The light of nature will no more help us to see Christ than the light of a candle will help us to understand. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them. 1 Corinthians 2.14 What shall we do then? to know God in a soul-saving manner. I answer, let us plead for the help of God's Spirit. Paul never saw himself blind until a light shined from heaven. Acts 9, 3 God must anoint our eyes before we can see.
What need did Christ have to urge Laodicea to come to him for Isaph if she could already see? Revelation 3:18. Oh, let us plead for the aid of the Spirit, for he is the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. Ephesians 1:17. Saving knowledge does not come by speculation, but by inspiration. The inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Job 32.8 We may have excellent knowledge of theology, but the Holy Spirit must enable us to know God's truths in a spiritual manner. A person may see the figures on a sundial, but he cannot tell how the day goes unless the sun shines. We may read many truths in the Bible, but we cannot know them savingly until God's Spirit shines upon us. The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10 The Bible displays Christ to us, but the Spirit reveals Christ in us. Galatians 1.16 The Spirit makes known that which all the world cannot do, the sense of God's love. Application 3 You who have this saving, sanctifying knowledge flourishing in you, bless God for it. This is the heavenly anointing. The most excellent objects cannot be seen in the dark, but when the light appears, then every flower blooms in its native beauty. While people are in the midnight of a natural state, the beauty of holiness is hidden from them. But when the light of the Spirit comes in a saving manner, Then those truths that they slighted before appear in that glorious luster that transports them with wonder and love. Thank God, you saints, that he has removed your spiritual cataract and has enabled you to discern those things that you could never see by nature's spectacles. How thankful Christ was to his Father for this. I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them unto babes. Matthew 11.25 How you should admire free grace, that God has not only brought the light to you, but has given you eyes to see it, that he has enabled you to know the truth as it is in Jesus. Ephesians 4.21 and that he has opened not only the eye of your understanding, but also the eye of your conscience. It is a mercy for which you can never be thankful enough that God has so enlightened you that you should not sleep the sleep of death. Psalm 13.3 Section 2 A godly person is a person moved by faith. Just as gold is the most precious among the metals, so faith is the most precious among the graces. Faith cuts us off from the wild olive tree of nature and grafts us into Christ. Romans 11.24 Faith is the vital artery of the soul. The just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4 Those who are destitute of faith may breathe, but they lack life. Faith energizes the graces. Not a grace stirs until faith sets it working. 
Faith is to the soul what the animal spirits are to the body, awakening active movement in it. Faith excites repentance. It is like the fire to the distillery. Believing God's love to me makes me weep that I would sin against so good a God. Faith is the mother of hope. First, we believe the promise, and then we hope for it. Faith is the oil that feeds the lamp of hope. Faith and hope are two turtle dove graces. If you take away one, the other one languishes. If the tendons are cut, the body is lame. If this tendon of faith is cut, hope is lame. Faith is the basis of patience. He who believes that God is his God, and that all providences work for his good, patiently yields himself to the will of God. Thus, faith is a living principle, and the life of a saint is nothing else but a life of faith. His prayer is the breathing of faith. James 5.15 His obedience is the result of faith. Romans 16.26 A godly person lives in Christ by faith, just as the beam lives in the sun. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Galatians 2.20 By the power of faith, a Christian sees above reason and treads above the moon. 2 Corinthians 4.18 By faith, his heart is soon calm. He trusts himself and all his circumstances to God. Psalm 112.7 Just as soldiers enter a fort and trust themselves and their treasures there during a time of war, so the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Proverbs 18.10 And a believer trusts all that he has and ever will have to him. I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. 2 Timothy 1.12 God trusted Paul with his gospel, and Paul trusted God with his soul. Faith is a cure-all, a remedy against all troubles. It is a godly person's anchor, that he cast out into the sea of God's mercy that keeps him from sinking in despair. Application Let us test ourselves by realizing how far from being godly they are who are destitute of faith. They are completely drowned in sense. Most people are spiritually nearsighted. They can only see what is right before them. 2 Peter 1.9 I have read of a group of people in India who are born with only one eye. That is like those who are born with the eye of reason, but lack the eye of faith. They do not believe in God because they do not see God with bodily eyes. They may as well not believe that they have souls, since souls cannot be seen. Oh, where is he who lives in the heights, who has gone into the upper region? and sees things not seen. Hebrews 11.27 If people lived by faith, would they use sinful methods to earn a living? If there were more faith, would there be so much fraud? If they had living faith, would they float downstream like dead fish?
In this age, there is hardly as much faith to be found among people as there is among the devils, for they believe and tremble. James 2.19 It was a grave and serious comment of Mr. Greenham that he was not afraid that Roman Catholicism would be England's ruin, but that atheism would be. However, I will not speak more of this now, since I wrote at greater length about this in another discourse. Section 3. A Godly Person is Energized with Love to God. I love the Lord, because He hath heard my voice and my supplications. Psalm 116, 1. Faith and love are the two poles on which all true Christianity turns. A true saint is carried in that chariot, the midst thereof being paved with love. Song of Solomon 3.10 As faith gives life, so love sweetens every duty. The sun mellows the fruit, and love mellows the services of religion and gives them a better flavor. A godly person is filled with love for Christ. Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. John 21.16 Although I denied you, dear Savior, it was because of lack of strength, not lack of love. God is the fountain and epitome of goodness. His beauty and sweetness lay constraints of love upon a gracious heart. God is the saint's portion. Psalm 119.57 And what is more loved than a portion? I would hate my own soul, someone said, if I found it not loving God. A godly person loves God and therefore delights to be in his presence. He loves God and therefore takes comfort in nothing without him. Saw ye him whom my soul loveth? Song of Solomon 3, 3. The pious soul loves God and therefore thirsts for him. The more he has of God, the more he still desires. A sip of the wine of the Spirit increases the appetite for more. The soul loves God and therefore rejoices to think of his appearing. 2 Timothy 4, 8 He loves him and therefore longs to be with him. Christ was in Paul's heart, and Paul desired to be with him. Philippians 1, 23 Once the soul is like God, it would gladly be with God. A gracious heart cries out, Oh, that I had wings, that I might fly away and be with my love, Christ. Psalm 55, 6 The bird desires to be out of the cage, even if the cage is decorated with jewels. The love that a gracious soul has for God is so great that many waters cannot quench it. Song of Solomon 8, 7 The gracious soul even loves a frowning God. Though I am out of sight and clean forgot, let me not love thee if I love thee not. George Herbert, 1593-1633 A godly person loves God even if he endures affliction and much difficulty. A mother and her nine-year-old child were about to die of hunger. The child looked at his mother and said, 
Mother, do you think God will starve us? No, child, said the mother, he will not. The child replied, But if he does, we must still love him and serve him. Application Let us test our godliness by asking if we really love God. Do we love God? Is he our treasure and center? Can we, with David, call God our joy, our exceeding joy? Psalm 43, 4. Do we delight to draw near to him and to come before his presence with singing? Psalm 102. Do we love him for his beauty more than for his jewels? Do we love him even when he seems not to love us? If this is the sign of a godly person, how few will be found in the number? Where is the person whose heart is filled with love for God? Many people want to gain his favor, but few love him. People are for the most part consumed with self-love. They love their ease, their worldly profit, and their lusts, but they do not have a drop of love for God. If they loved God, would they be so willing to be rid of him? They say unto God, Depart from us. Job 21.14 If they loved God, would they take his name in vain? Does he who shoots his father in the heart love him? Although they worship God, they do not love him. They are like the soldiers who bowed the knee to Christ and mocked him. Matthew 27:29 He whose heart is a grave in which the love of God is buried deserves to have that curse written upon his tombstone Let him be anathema maranatha 1 Corinthians 16:22 A soul without divine love is best suited for the spirits of the damned I will refrain from saying more about this and we'll move on to the next section. Section 4. A Godly Person is Like God A godly person has the same judgment as God. He thinks of things in the same way that God does. He has a disposition that resembles God's. He partakes of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1, 4. A godly person bears God's name and image. Godliness is God-likeness. It is one thing to profess God, but another thing to resemble Him. A godly person is like God in holiness. Holiness is the most glorious pearl in the King of Heaven's crown. God is glorious in holiness. Exodus 15, 11 God's power makes Him mighty and his mercy makes him lovely, but his holiness makes him glorious. The holiness of God is the intrinsic purity of his nature and his abhorrence of sin. A godly person bears some kind of analogy with God in this. He has the holy oil of consecration upon him. Aaron, the saint of the Lord, Psalm 106.16 Holiness is the badge and uniform of Christ's people. The people of thy holiness. Isaiah 63, 18. The godly are a holy as well as a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9. 
nor have they only an outer display of holiness, like the Egyptian temples that were beautiful outside, but they are like Solomon's temple that had gold inside. Holiness to the Lord is written upon their hearts. Exodus 28:36. The holiness of the saints consists in their conformity to God's will, which is the rule and pattern of all holiness. Holiness is a person's glory. Aaron put on garments for glory and for beauty. Exodus 28, 2. So when a person is clothed with the embroidered garment of holiness, it is for glory and beauty. The goodness of a Christian lies in his holiness, just as the goodness of the air lies in its clarity, and as the worth of gold lies in its purity. Question. In what way do the godly display their holiness? Answer. 1. In hating the garment spotted by the flesh. Jude one twenty three, The godly set themselves against evil, both in purpose and in practice. They are fearful of anything that even looks like sin. 1 Thessalonians 5.22 the appearance of evil may prejudice a weak Christian. If it does not defile a person's own conscience, it may offend his brother's conscience, and to sin against him is to sin against Christ. 1 Corinthians 8.12 A godly person will not go as far as he may, lest he go further than he should. He will not accept or support all that others enticed with getting ahead or gaining an advantage, may plead for. It is easy to put a golden color on rotten material. 2. In being advocates for holiness. I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings, and will not be ashamed. Psalm 119.46 When piety is belittled in the world, the saints will stand up in its defense. They will wipe the dust of any reproach off the face of true Christianity. Holiness defends the godly, and the godly will defend holiness. Holiness defends them from danger, and they will defend it from disgrace. Application 1. How can those who are unlike God be considered to be godly? They have nothing of God in them, not one shred of holiness. They call themselves Christians, but you can blot out the word holiness. You may as well call it day at midnight. Some people are so shameless that they boast that they are not among those who are holy. Is it not the spirit of holiness who marks the sheep of Christ from the goats? Ye were sealed, or marked, with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1.13 Is it a matter for people to boast of that they do not have the Spirit's stamp upon them? Does not Hebrews 12.14 say that without holiness no man shall see the Lord? Hebrews 12.14 Those who bless themselves in their unholiness had better go and rejoice in the fact that they will never see God. There are others who hate holiness. Sin and holiness never meet unless they fight. Holiness discharges its fire of zeal against sin. 
and sin spits its venom of malice at holiness. Many people pretend to love Christ as a Savior, but hate Him as the Holy One. Acts 3.14 Application 2 Let us labor to be like God in holiness. 1. This is God's great design that He encourages in the world. It is the goal of the word preached. The silver drops of the sanctuary are intended to water the seed of grace and make a crop of holiness spring up. What use is there in the promises if not to motivate us to holiness? What are all God's providential dispensations for if not to promote holiness? As the Lord makes use of frost, heat, and all the seasons of the year to produce the harvest, so all favorable and adverse providences are for promoting the work of holiness in the soul. What is the aim of the mission of the Spirit, except to make the heart holy? When the air is unhealthy by reason of fog and mist, the wind is a fan to blow and purify the air. In the same way, God's Holy Spirit blows upon the heart to purify it and make it holy. 2. Holiness is that alone which God is delighted with. When Tamerlane was presented with a pot of gold, he asked whether the gold had his father's stamp upon it. When he saw that it had the Roman stamp, he rejected it. Holiness is God's stamp and imprint. If he does not see this stamp upon us, he will not acknowledge us. 3. Holiness equips us for communion with God. Communion with God is a paradox to the people of the world. Not everyone who hangs around the court speaks with the king. We may approach God in duties and, as it were, hang around the court of heaven, yet not have communion with God. That which keeps up the communion with God is holiness. The holy heart enjoys much of God's presence. He feels heartwarming and heart-comforting virtue in an ordinance. Where God sees his likeness, there he gives his love. Section 5. A godly person is very exact and careful about the worship of God. The Greek word for godly signifies a true worshiper of God. A godly person reverences divine institutions and is more for the purity of worship than the pomp. Mixture in sacred things is like a dash in the wine, which though it gives it a color, yet only cheapens it. The Lord wanted Moses to make the tabernacle according to the pattern that was shown to him in the mount. Exodus 25, 40. If Moses had left out anything in the pattern or added anything to it, it would have been very wrong of him. The Lord has always given testimonies of his displeasure against those who have corrupted his worship. Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire, other than God had sanctified, on the altar, and there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. Leviticus 10 1-2. Whatever is not of God's own appointment in his worship, he looks upon as strange fire. 
it is no wonder that he is so highly angered at it, for it is as if God were not wise enough to appoint the manner in which he will be served. People will try to define the rules to him, and as if the rules for his worship were defective, they will attempt to amend the copy and add their own ideas. A godly person dares not vary from the pattern that God has shown him in the Bible. David was called a man after God's own heart, Acts 13.22, and probably not the least reason for this is because he kept the springs of God's worship pure and in sacred matters did not introduce anything of his own devising. Application We may test whether we are godly by examining ourselves to determine if we are sensitive about the things of God. Do we observe that mode of worship that has the stamp of divine authority upon it? Adding to God's ways has dangerous consequences. 1. Those who will add to one part of God's worship will be as ready to take away from another. Laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men. Mark 7, 8. Those who will bring in a tradition will in time lay aside a command. The Roman Catholics are very guilty of this. They bring in altars and crucifixes and lay aside the second commandment. They bring in oil and cream in baptism and leave out the cup in the Lord's Supper. They bring in praying for the dead and lay aside reading the scriptures sensibly to the living. Those who will introduce into God's worship that which he has not commanded will be as ready to blot out that which he has commanded. 2. Those who are for outward blending in God's worship are usually indifferent to the essentials of Christianity. Living by faith and leading a strict, disciplined life are of less concern to them. Wasps have their combs, but no honey in them. The religion of many may be compared to those ears of grain that are devoid of fruit and good only to be used for straw. 3. Superstition Following religion instead of Christ or adding to or taking away from what the Bible says and lack of holiness and reverence are closely connected. Has it not been known that those who have kneeled at a pillar have reeled against a post? 4. Those who are devoted to superstition are seldom or never converted. Publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Matthew 21, 31. This was spoken to the chief priests, who were strong formalists. The reason why such people are seldom saved is because they have a secret antipathy toward the power of godliness. The snake has a fine color, but it has a sting. In the same way, people may outwardly look zealous and devout, yet retain a sting of hatred in their hearts against goodness. This is why those who have been most supportive of superstition have been the biggest persecutors. The Church of Rome wears white linen, a symbol of innocence, but the Spirit of God portrays her in scarlet. Revelation 17.4 Why is this? It is not only because she puts on a scarlet robe, 
but because her body is of a scarlet dye, having stained her hands in the blood of the saints. Revelation 17.6 If, then, we want to show ourselves to be godly, let us keep close to the ways and word of God, and in the things of Jehovah go no further than we can say, It is written. Section 6 A godly person is a servant of God and not a servant of men. This characteristic has two distinct branches. I will speak of both in order. 1. A godly person is a servant of God. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. Ezra 5.11 Epaphras was a servant of Christ. Colossians 4.12 Question. In what sense is a godly person a servant of God? Answer. In seven respects. 1. A servant leaves all others and confines himself to one master. In the same way, a godly person leaves the service of sin and devotes himself to the service of God. Romans 6.22 Sin is a tyrannizing thing. A sinner is a slave when he sins with the most freedom. The wages that sin gives should deter us from its service. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 This is wretched pay. A godly person enlists himself in God's family and is one of his humble servants. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant. Psalm 116.16 David uses repetition, as if he had said, Lord, I have given my pledge. No one else can lay claim to me. My ear is bored to your service. See Exodus 21, 5-6. 2. A servant is not independent and at his own disposal, but he is at the disposal of his master. A servant must not do what he pleases, but is at the will of his master. Thus, a godly person is God's servant. He is wholly at God's disposal. He has no will of his own. Thy will be done in earth. Matthew 6.10 Some will say to the godly, Why cannot you live like others? Why will you not drink and swear and profane the Sabbath as others do? The godly are God's servants. They must not do what they want, but are under the rules of the family. They must do nothing except what they can show their master's authority for. 3. A servant is duty-bound. There are covenants and agreements sealed between him and his master. Thus, there are contracts made in baptism, and in conversion the agreements are renewed and sealed. There we bind ourselves to God to be His sworn servants. I have sworn, and I will perform it, that I will keep Thy righteous judgments. Psalm 119.106 A godly person has joined himself to the Lord by a vow, and he is conscientious about keeping his vow. 
He would rather die by persecution than live by perjury. Psalm 56, 12. 4. A servant not only wears his master's uniform, but he does his work. Thus, a godly person works for God. Paul spent and was spent for Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He outworked all the other apostles. 1 Corinthians 15.10 A godly person is active for God to his last breath, even unto the end. Psalm 119.112 Only the dead rest from their labors. Revelation 14.13 5. A servant follows his master. Thus, a godly person is a servant of God. While others wander after the beast, he follows after the lamb. Revelation 13.3 and 14.4 He wants to tread in the steps of Christ. If a master leaps over hedge and ditch, the servant will follow him. A godly person will follow Christ through afflictions. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23 Peter wanted to follow Christ on the water. A godly person will follow Christ even though it is death every step. He will keep his goodness when others are bad. As all the water in the salt sea cannot make the fish salty, but they still retain their freshness, so all the wickedness in the world cannot make a godly person wicked. But he still retains his piety. He will follow Christ even in the worst times. 6. A servant is satisfied with what his master provides. He does not demand certain provisions to be made ready for him. If his supply runs short, he does not find fault. He knows he is a servant, and he accepts what his master gives. In this sense, a godly person is God's servant. He is willing to live on whatever God provides. If he only has some leftovers, he does not complain. Paul knew he was a servant. Therefore, it did not matter to him whether more or less fell to his share. Philippians 4.11 When Christians complain about their condition, they forget that they are servants and must live on the allowance of their heavenly master. You who have even the smallest portion from God will die in his death. 7. A servant will stand up for the honor of his master. He cannot hear his master reproached without defending him. Thus, every godly person will stand up for the honor of his master, Christ. My zeal hath consumed me. Psalm 119.139 A servant of God stands up for his truths. Some people can hear God's name reproached and his ways spoken against, yet remain silent. God will be ashamed of such servants and will reject them before men and angels. Application Let us declare ourselves godly by being servants of the Most High God. Consider 1. God is the best master. He is precise in all his promises. 
There is no God like Thee in heaven above, or on earth beneath, who keepest covenant and mercy with Thy servants. There hath not failed one word of all His good promise. 1 Kings 8.23 and 56 God is of a most sweet, gracious disposition. He is slow to anger. Psalm 103.8 and ready to forgive. Psalm 86.5 In our need, He helps us. In our weakness, He is compassionate toward us. He reveals His secrets to His servants. Psalm 25.14 and Proverbs 3.32 He waits on His servants. Was there ever such a master? Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. Luke 12.37 When we are sick, he makes our bed. Thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. Psalm 41.3 He holds our head when we are faint. Other masters may forget their servants and cast them off when they are old but God will not. Thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. Isaiah 44, 21. It is slander to say that God is a hard master. Matthew 25, 24. 2. God's service is the best service. There are six privileges in God's service. Freedom. Although the saints are bound to God's service, yet they serve Him freely. God's Spirit, who is called a free spirit, Psalm 51.12, makes them free and cheerful in obedience. The Spirit carries them on the wings of delight. He makes duty a privilege. He does not force people, but draws them. He enlarges the heart in love and fills it with joy. God's service is perfect freedom. Honor David the king professed himself to be dependent upon God and his servant. I am thy servant. Psalm 143.12 When the apostle Paul wanted to display his coat of arms and set forth his best sign, he did not call himself Paul, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, or Paul, of the tribe of Benjamin, Philippians 3.5, but Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.1. Theodosius thought it was a greater honor to be God's servant than to be an emperor. Christ himself, who is equal with his Father, is nevertheless not ashamed of the title of servant. Isaiah 53.11. Every servant of God is a son or daughter, and every subject is a prince or princess. There is more honor in serving God than in having kings serve us. The angels in heaven are servants of the saints on earth. Safety God takes care of his servants. He gives them protection. Thou art my servant. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Isaiah 41, 9-10 God hides his servants. 
In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Psalm 27, 5. That is, he will keep me safe, as in the most holy place of the sanctuary, where only the priests can enter. Christ's wings are both for healing and for hiding. Malachi 4, 2. For curing and securing us. The devil and his agents would soon devour the servants of God if he did not set an invisible guard around them and cover them with the golden feathers of his protection. Psalm 91.4 I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Acts 18.10 God's watchful eye is always on his people, and the enemies will not do the harm they intend. They will not be destroyers, but physicians. Gain Atheists say, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept His ordinance? Malachi 3.14 In addition to the benefits that God gives in this life, such as sweet peace of conscience, He reserves His best wine until last. John 2.10 he gives a glorious kingdom to his servants. Hebrews 12:28. The servants of God may be afflicted and mistreated for a short while, but they will advance in the end. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. John 12:26. Assistance. Other masters give work for their servants to do, but do not help them in their work. However, our Master in heaven gives us not only work, but He also gives us strength. Thou strengthenest me with strength in my soul. Psalm 138.3 God instructs us to serve Him, and He will enable us to serve Him. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Ezekiel 36.27 The Lord not only prepares work for us, but He also equips us for our work. With His command, He gives power. Supplies A master will not let his servants be in need. God's servants will be provided for. Verily, thou shalt be fed. Psalm 37.3 Does God give us a Christ, and will He deny us a crust? The God which fed me all my life long. Genesis 48.15 If God does not give us what we crave, He will give us what we need. The wicked, who are dogs, are fed. Philippians 3.2 If a man feeds his dog, he will certainly feed his servant. Who, then, would not be in love with God's service? 3. We are obligated to serve God. We are bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20 This is a metaphor taken from those who ransom captives from prison by paying a sum of money for them. They are to be at the service of those who ransomed them. So when the devil had taken us prisoners, Christ ransomed us with a price, not of money, but of blood. Therefore. We are to serve Him. If anyone can lay a better claim to us than Christ, we may serve Him. 
But since Christ has the best right to us, we are to cling to Him and commit ourselves to serve Him forever. 2. A godly person is not the servant of men. Be not ye the servants of men. 1 Corinthians 7.23 Question. But is there no service we owe to people? Answer. Yes, we are to serve them in three ways. 1. There is a civil service we owe to people, as the inferior to the superior. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. Ephesians 6, 5. 2. There is a religious service we owe to people, when we are serviceable to their souls. Your servants, for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. 3. There is a sinful serving of people. This consists of three things. A. When we prefer the dictates of man before God's ways. God commands one thing. Man commands another. God says to sanctify the Lord's day. Man says to profane it. We are servants of man when men's edicts have more force with us than God's precepts. B. When we voluntarily corrupt ourselves to the impure lusts of men, we let them lord it over our consciences. When we are pliable and conformable to anything, either Arminian or atheist, either for the gospel or the Quran, when we will be whatever others want us to be, then we are just like Issachar, who is a strong donkey couching down between two burdens. Genesis 49:14. This is not humility, but shamefulness, and it is serving people rather than serving God. C. When we are supporters of a bad cause, pleading for any impious, unjustifiable act, when we baptize sin with the name of religion, and with our oratory wash the devil's face, this is to be the servants of men. In these cases, a godly person will not so unman himself as to serve men. He says with Paul, If I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Galatians 1.10 And with Peter, we ought to obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29 Application How far from godliness they are who serve people. How far they are from godliness who either for fear of punishment or from hope of promotion comply with the sinful commands of men who will put their consciences under any yoke and sail with any wind that brings profit. These are the servants of men. They have recanted their baptismal vow and renounced the Lord who bought them. To the one who is such a proteus as to change into any form and to bow as low as hell to please people, I would say two things. One, you who have learned to change to please people, how will you look Christ in the face another day? When you say on your deathbed, Lord, look on your servant, Christ will refuse to acknowledge you, but will say, My servant? No, you renounced my service. You were a servant of men.
depart from me. I do not know you. What a rejection this will be at that day. 2. What does a person get by sinfully enslaving himself? He gets a blot on his name, a curse on his estate, and a hell in his conscience. Even those to whom he barely stoops will scorn and despise him. How the high priests kicked Judas away. See thou to that. Matthew 27, 4. So that we may not be the servants of men, let us abandon fear and advance faith. Esther 8.17 Faith is a world-conquering grace. 1 John 5.4 It overcomes the world's attraction and pressure. It emboldens a Christian with divine courage and makes him stand immovable, like a rock in the midst of the sea. Section 7 A Godly Person Treasures Christ To illustrate that a godly person treasures Christ, I will show that Jesus Christ is in himself precious, and that a godly person considers him to be precious. 1. Jesus Christ is in himself precious. Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect precious. 1 Peter 2, 6. Jesus Christ is compared to things that are most precious. Myrrh. Christ is compared to a bundle of myrrh. Song of Solomon 1, 13. Myrrh is very precious. It was one of the main spices from which the holy anointing oil was made. Exodus 30, 23-25 1. Myrrh is of a perfuming nature. Christ perfumes our persons and services so that they are a sweet aroma to God. Why is the church, that heavenly bride, so perfumed with grace? It is because Christ, that myrrh tree, has sprinkled his perfume upon her. Song of Solomon 3, 6. 2. Myrrh is of an exhilarating nature. Its smell comforts and refreshes the spirit. Christ comforts the souls of his people when they are fainting under their sins and suffering. Pearl. Christ is compared to a pearl when he had found one pearl of great price. Matthew 13, 46. This pearl, Christ, was little in regard to his meekness, but was of infinite value. Jesus Christ is a pearl that God wears in his heart. John 1, 18. He is a pearl whose luster drowns the world's glory. Galatians 6, 14. He is a pearl that enriches the soul. 1 Corinthians 1, 5 the angelic part of man. Christ is a pearl that lights heaven. Revelation 21, 23. He is a pearl so precious that it makes us precious to God. Ephesians 1, 6. Jesus is a pearl that is restorative and healing. He is a pearl worth more than heaven. The preciousness of Christ is seen in three ways. 1. He is precious in his person. He is the image of his Father's glory. Hebrews 1, 3. 2. 
Christ is precious in his offices and roles, which are several rays of the sun of righteousness. A. Christ's prophetic office is precious. Deuteronomy 18.15 He is the great oracle of heaven. He has a preciousness above all the prophets who went before him. He teaches not only the ear, but the heart. He who has the key of David in his hand opened the heart of Lydia. Acts 16.14 B. Christ's priestly office is precious. This is the solid basis of our comfort. He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.26 By virtue of this sacrifice, the soul may go to God with boldness and pray, Lord, give me heaven. Christ has purchased it for me. He hung upon the cross so that I might sit upon the throne. Christ's blood and incense are the two hinges upon which our salvation turns. C. Christ's regal office is precious. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Revelation 19.16 Christ has a preeminence above all other kings for majesty. He has the highest throne, the richest crown, the largest dominions, and the longest possession. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Hebrews 1.8 Although Christ has many assessors, he has no successors. Christ sets up his scepter where no other king does. He rules the will and affections. His power binds the conscience. The angels take the oath of allegiance to him. Hebrews 1.6 Christ's kingship is seen in two royal acts. 1. In ruling his people. He rules with mercy. His regal rod has honey at the end of it. Christ displays the emblem of mercy, which makes so many volunteers run to his flag. Psalm 110.3 Holiness without mercy and justice without mercy would be dreadful, but mercy encourages poor sinners to trust in him. 2. In overruling his enemies, he pulls down their pride, restrains their malice, and frustrates their plans. The remainder of wrath shalt thou restrain. Psalm 76.10 Or, as it is in Hebrew, thou shalt girdle up. That stone cut out of the mountain without hands, which smote the image, Daniel 2.34, was a symbol, said Augustine, of Christ's monarchical power conquering and triumphing over his enemies. 3. Christ is precious in his benefits. By Christ, all dangers are removed. Through Christ, all mercies are conveyed. In his blood flows justification. Acts 13.39 Purification. Hebrews 9.14 Propagation. John 15.5 Conciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.18 Adoption Galatians 4.5 Perseverance 
Hebrews 12, 2-3, and Glorification, Philippians 3, 20-21. This will be a matter of marvelous joy to eternity. We read that those who had passed over the sea of glass stood with their harps and sang the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. Revelation 15, 2-3. When the saints of God have passed over the glassy sea of this world, they will sing hallelujahs to the Lamb, who has redeemed them from sin and hell and has translated them into that glorious paradise where they will see God forever and ever. 2. A godly person considers Christ to be precious. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. 1 Peter 2, 7. The Greek language says it is an honor. Believers have an honorable esteem of Christ. The psalmist speaks like one captivated with Christ's amazing beauty. There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Psalm 73:25. He did not say that he had nothing, for he had many comforts on earth, but he desired none but God. It is as if a wife would say that there is no one's company she values as much as her husband's. How did David treasure Christ? Thou art fairer than the children of men. Psalm 45, 2. The spouse in the Song of Solomon looked upon Christ as the Corypheus, the most incomparable one, the chiefest among ten thousand. Song of Solomon 5.10 Christ surpasses all others. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. Song of Solomon 2.3 Christ infinitely more excels all the beauties and glories of this visible world than the apple tree surpasses the trees of the wild forest. Paul so treasured Christ that he made him his main study. I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 2. He considered nothing else to be of value. Paul best knew Christ. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? 1 Corinthians 9, 1. He saw him with his bodily eyes in a vision when he was caught up into the third heaven. 2 Corinthians 12.2, and he saw him with the eye of his faith in the blessed Lord's Supper. Therefore, he knew him best. Consider how he disregarded and ignored other things in comparison with Christ. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Philippians 3.8, he considered worldly gain to be loss and gold to be as dung in comparison to the excellency of Christ. Indeed, a godly person cannot choose but to set a high valuation upon Christ. He sees a fullness of worth in him. 1. A fullness in regard to variety. In whom are hid all the treasures. Colossians 2.3 No country has all commodities of its own growth. But Christ has all kinds of fullness, fullness of merit, of spirit, and of love. He has a treasure adequate for all our needs. 2. 
a fullness in regard to degree. Christ has not only a few drops or rays, but he is more full of goodness than the sun is of light. He has the fullness of the Godhead. Colossians 2, 9. 3. A fullness in regard to duration. The fullness in the creature, like the brooks of Arabia, is soon dried up. But Christ's fullness is inexhaustible. It is a fullness overflowing and always flowing. This fullness is for believers. As Martin Luther said, Christ is a common treasury or storehouse for the saints. Of his fullness have all we received. John 1.16 If you set a glass under a still, it receives water out of the still, drop by drop. In the same way, those who are united to Christ have the dews and drops of his grace distilling upon them. Christ may indeed well be admired by all those who believe. Application 1. Does a godly person greatly treasure Christ? Then what is to be thought of those who do not put much value upon Christ? Are they godly or not? There are four groups of people who do not treasure Christ. 1. Unregenerate Jews Unsaved Jews do not believe in Jesus Christ. Unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. 2 Corinthians 3.15 They expect their future age and the Messiah still to come, as their own Talmud reports. In general, they blaspheme Christ. They scorn imputed righteousness. They despise the Virgin Mary, calling her in derision Mara, which signifies bitterness. They denounce the gospel. They deny the Christian Sabbath. They hold Christians in abomination. They regard it as not lawful for a Jew to take medicine from a Christian. Shikardus tells about a Jew named Bendema, who was bitten by a snake. A Christian came to heal him, but he refused his help and chose to die rather than to be healed by a Christian. The Jews in general hate Christ and all who follow him. 2. The Socinians, who acknowledge only Christ's humanity. This is to set him below the angels. For human nature, simply considered, is inferior to the angelic nature. Psalm 8, 5. 3. Proud nominal Christians. They do not lay the whole weight of their salvation upon Christ, but want to mingle their dross with his gold and add their duties to his merits. This is to steal a jewel from Christ's crown and implicitly deny that he is a perfect Savior. 4. Proud idealists, who prefer the study of the arts and sciences before Christ. It is not necessarily that the knowledge of these is not commendable, for Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Acts 7.22 Human learning is of good use to prepare for the study of better things just as a coarser dye prepares the cloth for a richer and deeper dye. However, the fault is when the study of Christ is neglected. The knowledge of Christ should have the preeminence. 
It was surely a mystery that God allowed all of Solomon's writings about birds and plants to be lost, while what Solomon wrote about spiritual wisdom was miraculously preserved. As if God would teach us that to know Christ, the true wisdom, is the crowning knowledge. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 31 One leaf of this tree of life will give us more comfort on a deathbed than the whole idea and platform of human science. What is it to know all the motions of the planets and influences of the stars, and in the meantime, to be ignorant of Christ, the bright and morning star? Revelation 22:16. What is it to understand the nature of minerals or precious stones, and not to know Christ, the true cornerstone? Isaiah 28:16. It is undervaluing and even despising Christ when with a magnet we draw iron and straw to us, but neglect him who desires to give us purified gold. Revelation 3.18 Application 2 Since it is the characteristic of a godly person to treasure Christ, let us test our godliness by whether or not we set a high estimation on Christ. Question. How will we know that? Answer 1. If we truly treasure Christ, then we prefer Him in our judgments before other things. We value Christ above honor and riches. The pearl of price lies nearest our heart. He who treasures Christ esteems the gleanings of Christ better than the world's harvest. He considers the worst things of Christ better than the best things of the world, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Hebrews 11:26. Is it this way with us? Has the value of worldly things fallen in our eyes and hearts? Gregory of Nassianzus solemnly thanked God that he had anything to lose for Christ's sake. But sadly, how few like him are to be found. You will hear some say they have honorable thoughts of Christ but they value their land and possessions above him. The young man in the gospel preferred his bags of gold before Christ. Mark 10:22. Judas valued 30 pieces of silver above him. May it not be feared that if an hour of trial comes, there would be many who would rather renounce their baptism and throw off Christ's uniform than to risk the loss of their earthly possessions for him? Answer 2. If we truly treasure Christ, we cannot live without Him. We do not know how to live without things we greatly value. A person may live without music, but not without food. A child of God can lack health and friends, but he cannot lack Christ. In the absence of Christ, he says, with Job, I went mourning without the sun. Job 30.28 I have the starlight of creature comforts, but I need the sun of righteousness. Rachel said to Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. Genesis 31. In the same way, the soul says, Lord, give me Christ, or I die. Give me one drop of the water of life to quench my thirst. Let us test them by this. Do they treasure Christ? 
who can get along just fine without him? Give a child a rattle, and he will not pay attention to gold. If people only have worldly possessions, corn and wine, Genesis 27:28, they can be content enough without Christ. Christ is a spiritual rock. 1 Corinthians 10, 4. Let people have oil in the jar. 1 Kings 17, 14. And they will not care for honey out of the rock. Psalm 81, 16. If they lose some business, they complain. But if God takes away the gospel, which is the ark wherein Christ the manna is hidden, they are quiet and content enough. Do they truly treasure Christ, who can sit down content without him? Answer 3. If we treasure Christ, then we will not complain about any efforts to get him. He who values gold will dig for it in the mine. My soul followeth hard after thee. Psalm 63, 8. Plutarch said that the Gauls, an ancient people in France, tasted the sweet wine of the Italian grape. They asked about the country, and they did not rest until they had arrived there. He in whose eye, Christ, is precious, never rests until he has obtained him. I sought him whom my soul loveth. Song of Solomon 3, 1. We can determine by this whether we love and treasure Christ. Many say they have Christ in high esteem, yet they are not diligent in the use of means to obtain him. If Christ would drop as a ripe fig into their mouth, they would be content to have him, but they will not go to too much trouble to get him. Does he who will not eat right or exercise value his health? Answer 4. If we treasure Christ, then we take great pleasure in Christ. What joy a person takes in that which he considers his treasure. He who treasures Christ makes him his greatest joy. He can delight in Christ when other delights have gone. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk 3, 17-18 Although a flower in a person's garden dies, he can still delight in his money and jewels. He who esteems Christ can comfort himself in Christ, even when all other comforts decline. Answer 5. If we treasure Christ, then we will part with our dearest pleasures for him. Paul said that the Galatians so esteemed him that they were ready to pull out their own eyes and give them to him. Galatians 4.15 He who esteems Christ will pull out that lust or desire that is his right eye. A wise person will throw away a poison for healing medicine. He who sets a high value upon Christ will part with his pride, unjust gain, and sinful passions. Isaiah 30.32 he will set his feet on the neck of his sins. Joshua 10:24. Test by this how people can be said to treasure Christ who will not leave a lust or empty pleasure for him, not even worldly entertainment, profanity, or alcohol. 
What scorn and contempt they put on the Lord Jesus who prefer a damning lust or pleasure before a saving Christ. Answer 6. If we treasure Christ, we will think that we cannot have him at too high a cost. We may buy gold too dearly, but we cannot purchase Christ too dearly. Even if we part with our blood for him, it is not too high a cost. The apostles rejoiced that they were graced so much as to be disgraced for Christ. Acts 5.41 They considered their chains more precious than bracelets of gold. Do not let him who refuses to bear his cross say that he treasures Christ. When tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. Matthew 13.21 Answer 7 If we treasure Christ, we will be willing to help others to know and follow him. We desire our friends to have a part in that which we consider excellent. If a man has found a spring of water, he will call others so that they may drink and satisfy their thirst. Do we commend Christ to others? Do we take them by the hand and lead them to Christ? This shows how few treasure Christ. For they do not make more effort that their acquaintances and relatives should have a part in him. They get land and riches for their children, but have no concern to leave them the pearl of price as their portion. Answer 8. If we treasure Christ, then we treasure him in health as well as in sickness. We treasure him when we are rich as well as when we are poor. A friend is valued at all times. The Rose of Sharon is always sweet. He who values his Savior appropriately has as precious thoughts of him in a day of prosperity as in a day of adversity. The wicked make use of Christ only when they are in difficulty, as the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah when they were in distress. Judges 11.7 The Mystocles complained that the Athenians only ran to him as they did to a tree, to shelter them in a storm. Sinners desire Christ only for shelter. The Hebrews did not choose their judges unless they were in some imminent danger. Godless people never look for Christ except at death, when they are in danger of hell. Application 3 As we want to demonstrate to the world that we have the imprint of godliness on us, Let us treasure Jesus Christ. He is elite and precious. Christ is the wonder of beauty. Pliny said that there is nothing in the mulberry tree that is not medicinal and useful. The fruit, leaves, and bark are all beneficial. In the same way, there is nothing in Christ that is not precious. His name is precious. His virtues are precious and his blood is precious. Oh, then, let us have endearing thoughts of Christ. Let him be regarded as our greatest treasure and delight. Millions of people perish because they do not treasure Christ. Christ is the door by which people are to enter heaven. John 10, 9. If they do not know this door, or are so proud that they will not humble themselves to go in through this door, how can they be saved?
So that we may have Christ-admiring thoughts, let us consider the following points. 1. We cannot treasure Christ at too high a price. We may treasure other things above their value, that is, our sin. We commonly overrate the creature. We think there is more in it than there is. Therefore, God withers our gourd because we value it too highly. Jonah 4.7 However, we cannot raise our esteem of Christ high enough. He is beyond all value. There is no ruby or diamond that the jeweler cannot set a fair price upon. He can say it is worth so much and no more. But Christ's worth can never be fully known. No seraphim can set a proper value on him. His riches are unsearchable. Ephesians 3, 8. Christ is more precious than the soul, than the angels, and than heaven itself. 2. Jesus Christ has highly treasured us. He took our flesh upon him. 1 Timothy 3.16 He made his soul an offering for us. Isaiah 53.10 How precious our salvation was to Christ! Should we not treasure and adore him who has put such a value upon us? 3. Not to treasure Christ is great foolishness. Christ is our guide to glory. It is foolish for a person to disregard his guide. Jesus is our physician. It is foolish for us to despise our physician. Would we reject or disregard Christ for things of no value? Ye fools and blind, Matthew 23:17. A fool can be tested by showing him an apple and a piece of gold. If he chooses the apple before the gold, he is judged to be a fool, and his condition is questioned. How many such fools there are who prefer husks before manna, the showy empty things of this life before the Prince of Glory? Will not Satan speak of them at the end as fools? 4. Some people disregard Christ now and say, There is no beauty that we should desire him. Isaiah 53, 2. There is a day coming soon when Christ will as much disregard them. He will regard them as little as they regard him now. He will say, I know you not. Luke 13, 27. What a decrying word that will be when people cry out, Lord Jesus, save us. And he says, as in Psalm 81, 11, I was offered to you, but you wanted nothing to do with me. You scorned me, and now I will disregard you and your salvation. Depart from me, I do not know you. This is all that sinners get by rejecting the Lord of life. Christ will reject at the day of judgment those who rejected him in the day of grace.